My name is John Chafee. I was trained as a pastor and this is one of the ways in which I try to do something good with that education. This is Begin Again. So if you are looking for a nuanced or interesting take on the Jesus tradition and all of its wisdom and all of its perplexity and mystery, then you found the right place. I sincerely hope that this helps you to rethink some things, to maybe grow in your own way for health and holiness, for your benefit and for the benefit of those around you. So again, welcome to Begin Again. Well, today is a very special guest, David Hayward, on the This is Begin Again podcast. And uh, thank you so much for being a part of this. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. <laughs> this is, uh, I'm still not used to this uh, new life post Zoom or post COVID when we have the opportunity to connect like this, but it's really a wonderful thing. I feel as though it's just yeah. fantastic. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, Zoom helped me a lot get through the pandemic. That's for sure. Man. Even though for many, it's still not over. But, that's but true. yeah, John, thanks for having me on your show. And hi to all your listeners. And uh, they might not know me as David Hayward. They might know me as the Naked Pastor. But um, that's my my uh, AKA. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. So I started this podcast originally for some of the hikers I met when I did the Appalachian Trail. Oh, I, wow. Yeah. So I, oh, cool. I was at a church. The senior pastor was found having multiple affairs. And so mm -hmm. the whole place exploded next to me. So then I, I quit ministry and hiked the Appalachian Trail as a way to recoup. And I, I reread the mystics and all these figures. And that's when I shifted from doing theology to doing spirituality. So when I came across some of your stuff, maybe half a year ago, a year ago, uh, I saw so many things that you were writing felt so spot on about church culture, the ministry machine, and what does it look like to, to still carry a path forward, but not to be dominated by those expectations. And I yeah. think you do a great job of being a pastor to people outside of congregations in a unique way. How would you describe what you do? Well, um, I let other people describe what I do because I really just, <laughs> That's... I, I really do appreciate when people say, you know, you really are kind of still like a pastor, but you're online, you know, and, and virtual. And uh, I, I do remember listening to one uh, theologians speaking and and saying the pastor's job is to get people from point A to point B in their spiritual journey, and that really resonated with me. Uh -huh. um, I think that's what I love doing. And um, whatever your journey is, from your point A to your point B, not my point A and point B. Oh, yeah. And um, and I, that really really resonated with me. So I happen to still be doing that. Um, yeah. And I kind of it kind of goes. Uh, it's kind of copacetic with my style of, I, I don't submit well to authority <laughs> and I don't fit molds very easily. And I can't stand being controlled. 
and uh, dominated and, you know, directed and, and all that. I'm, I, I really chafe at that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I really, one of my driving passions is the freedom to be my authentic self. And therefore I want that for other people. And I'm, I'm able to do that online. And, uh, and the way I communicate is through cartoons and writing and painting and videos and, and all that kind of thing, as well as podcast interviews. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just yesterday I got this book by Rick Rubin, The Creative Act. I wonder if you might enjoy it. I mean, it's almost like a devotional in some ways, but it's just so many reflections on the creative life. And how so many people actually are very creative and it's so stifling to sometimes be in a setting that stifles that creativity. What's the title of that book again? The Creative Act, A Way of Being. A Way of Being. Yeah. And it's yeah, well, within that, the first that, seven pages, he quotes Ecclesiastes. I was like, oh, what? Yeah, no, so that that's my... I believe everybody's creative in some way. Everybody's an artist. We make things, whether it's a cake or a dance or poetry or a painting or a sculpture or a relationship or mm -hmm. peace or justice. We all have a way of creating new ways of being and new ways of seeing. And um, I, I think that uh, everybody out there is creative in some way. And, and, and I think we have the right to be creative with our spiritual lives. Like I've said before, you have the right to choose how to be spiritual. And when I say spiritual, uh, John, I, 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 I'm not necessarily invoking any divinity. For me, spiritual means the inner life, the deep inner life of a yes. person. Uh -huh. uh, there's, a, there's no perfect word for that. No, you know, there's a lot of argument about using spiritual or not. But for me, it's not supernatural or or divine. It's it's the deep inner life of a person. So depth psychology, you know, and all yes. that kind of would would uh, fall under that, as yeah. well as religious devotion. Sure, but exclusively religious devotion. Mm. Yeah. And uh, speaking of getting people from point A to point B, one yeah. of the the insights, I guess, that happened that really rocked me, I guess was that uh -huh. the role of a spiritual mentor, and people always laugh when I say this, is to be like a Rafiki, like from Lion King. You remember oh, the moon? Yeah. <laughs> Just this yeah. wild figure that comes in yeah. out of nowhere and can disappear to nowhere. But yeah. the idea that the spiritual mentor should be free to let the student be who they are and to make their own mistakes, right. I felt as though when I was doing church work it does feel as though there's a lot of control issues they're just uh, beneath the surface but it's not yeah. allowed to be spoken about right and that's the nature of the beast that's the nature of any organization or institution church is just uh falls under that category of organized people where um you you need to manage them and but in my opinion, um, church has an extra ingredient okay. of, of God and everything about God and everything. And that's probably the number one ingredient on the, you know, contents. Okay. Um, you know how when you read contents like pet food or whatever, the first thing listed is the, it goes in order of quantity, like yeah. a ratio. 
So, um, you know, with our dog food, the first ingredient might be grain, whereas you might want meat of some kind, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Well, the first ingredient in church and, and control is, is God. And, um, you know, and then it goes down from there. So then God ordains certain people to be in authority and then he grants them or God grants them the same, uh, empowers them with the same rights and privileges yeah. one as God and, uh, and on down it goes. So the church is, in my opinion, one of the most, um, controlling cultures, mm. uh, the planet. And, um, you know, there are, I always, I always feel like I have to preface my remarks with a disclaimer. I don't mean all churches, but I do mean the church in general. Uh, and generally speaking, it is uh, a controlling kind of a culture. Yeah. And I, oh, I'm, I'm not just speaking as a member. I'm speaking as an ex-pastor. I, I was in that system. Right. Just, like there's systemic racism. Uh, and if you don't believe in systemic racism, then I, I really think you have a, a serious problem. Yeah. Some blinders <laughs> on. Systemic uh, abuse, systemic control, um, coercion in, in the church um, that, you know, I, I constantly feel the need to address. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And perhaps we already got ahead of ourselves. You, you come yeah. with an enormous amount of background and education. So it's yeah. not as though you're speaking as someone that was just a congregant. So right. can you in brief lay out your groundwork what gives you yeah. the quote authority in some people's eyes to say these things yeah right <laughs> yeah um okay well i grew up I, I you know i was baptized as a baby in the anglican church um which is in the u.s the same as episcopal um pretty much and uh you know grew up in and around the church and so on but i became really very serious about it my parents were born again out of Billy Graham crusade in Toronto, wow. okay. you know, and, you know, on from there, I ended up in the Baptist church and the Pentecostal church. I went to Pentecostal Bible college. I got Bible and theology degree. That's where I met Lisa, my wife. And then I went to an evangelical seminary, Gordon Conwell theological seminary outside of Boston. And I got my uh, master's in new Testament studies. And then I went and started my PhD in new Testament studies at uh, Knox, but, um, we got pregnant, couldn't afford to keep going. So I ended up in the ministry uh, quite by accident, <laughs> but I ended up getting ordained in the Presbyterian church in Canada. Um, you know, I've taken years of Greek, years of Hebrew, Aramaic, theological French, theological German, you know, you name it, all, yeah. all the, all the stuff. Cause I was a very, very serious Bible scholar. And that was my intent mm. was to become a Bible scholar um, and um, professor somewhere. Hopefully that was my dream. But I ended up in the ministry um, where I still took the Bible very seriously and so on uh, all the way th all the way through my ministry until I left the ministry in 2010. Mm -hmm. um, I call myself my own ecumenical movement because, you, you know, <laughs> I, I've been around. Uh, I was yeah. never devoted to anyone. Uh, what was that? Uh, can, can you just give me one second? Sure. Okay. Can, I hope you can edit this out.
Um, I call myself own ecumenical movement because I was, you know, born in the Anglican communion and then ended up whatever church was nearby. We moved a lot. My dad was a cop and was transferred a lot. We went to whatever church was convenient, Um, you know, and the Baptist, Pentecostal, independent, um, Presbyterian, uh, United, uh, ended up in the Vineyard Church. I planted a church that was independent. Uh, You know, I planted a Presbyterian church. Well, I've, I've been around. I've been in the church a long time. <laughs> I've devoted like 30 years of ministry. Um, and, uh, you know, so I was very, very much in the deep end of seriousness when it came to the Bible and, and the church. So, yeah, that's uh, I have tons of experience in the church, tons of experience in the leadership of the church and tons of experience in the Bible and the original languages and mm-hmm you know, all that. So, uh, I, I, I do come a little bit armed with, you know, some, um, study and, and experience, uh, and also armed with, I care about the church and yeah. a lot of people, I'm an enemy of the church and hate the church, but that's not true. I care deeply about the church. I really do believe it's here to stay, but please, can we do it in a healthy manner? that's all i ask yeah 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 you know uh as you were saying i hope this doesn't sound cliche i hear so many similarities because my undergrad was biblical studies i got my mdiv i went to princeton to start a phd instead got a thm but that was right around the shift happened when i started seeing a lot of cracks and how the ministry treadmill expects people to do it. And I would see implosions or church abuse of pastor or by the congregant sometimes. And I found myself critiquing out of mm-hmm. love, being like, hey, can we do this a little bit better? I see manipulation, triangulation, silencing, siloing, like all these manipulative tactics. But as soon as you start saying, can we work towards health, you get pushed out which is so counterintuitive, but it makes me think, oh, that's what John the Baptist was on the fringe. Jesus was on the fringe. Um, But there's this Thomas Merton is a a large figure in my mind. And there's something from his Asian journals where he says, if I can at least heal the divide between the East and the West in myself, then Mm. perhaps then I can help it happen at large. And so when mm-hmm. you speak about being an ecumenical movement yourself and drawing from all these sources, I actually, I feel like that's what it always was supposed to be. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. Thomas Merton has been a big source of inspiration for me. Well, yeah, for, for me too. Um, I remember when I was first started in the ministry and I was very much uh, ministerial <laughs> and uh pastoral, you know, very professional and, you know, successful doing well and everything. And then I had a, a profound sort of a cataclysmic, devastating moment that shone the light on the emptiness of what I was doing. And, uh, it, it was absolutely devastating to me and, um, I'm making a long story short here. It's a great story, but it's long, but I'm making it short. Anyway, I, I remembered some, 
somebody gave me a book when I graduated from seminary um, by Henry Nowen called Reaching Out. Oh, that's and a great one. I, I, uh, I poo-pooed that when it was given to me because I wasn't into spirituality and all that kind of, uh-huh. I was in the Bible, exegesis yeah. and exegesis. Yeah. And, uh, not experience exegesis. And, um, yeah, uh, I said to my wife, Lisa, I said, didn't I get a book by Henry now? And she said, yeah, somebody gave it to you and you put it in one of your boxes. It's in storage. So I went and found it and I read it and it was exactly what I needed at the time. And of course, from there, he quotes, um, Merton quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, uh, from there he did a, a book on Merton and then I, and then I got into Merton and, yeah. uh, I, you know, I read Seven Story Mountain first, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, from there, I've read all of his journals, including the Asian Journal, which is just absolutely fascinating. Is They're it, all fascinating. It's so good. Yeah, it's just just so good. And um, he he is one of my mentors, actually, though dead. Um, his, yeah. his work is very much alive. And uh, yeah, I, he, he really was one of my guides through mm. uh, that very traumatic time in my life yeah and and also introduced me to the east i mean he was absolutely in that way of introducing me to to the east and to islam and zen and and buddhism and tibetan buddhism and um, sufis and everyone else yeah all you know all all that mystical kind of uh literature Yeah, yeah it was it was great well, and from him also, Jim Finley, when he talks about his experiences knowing Merton himself, uh, I can't yes. imagine having a titan like that for your own spiritual director. Mm. That, that would be very intimidating. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, but- would it though? I, I, because um, that was before he got famous, really, kind of. You know what I mean? Well, that's like fair. We, that's we, fair. We, we look at we're looking in hindsight now and saying Merton was a giant and his influence in the world was huge, but he didn't know that at the time. He was just a regular guy, I think, and came across as a regular guy. And um, I, you know, I, I, I think now um, of all the people that he influenced and had no idea, mm-hmm. like for example, with me, like uh, he, he had a huge impact on my life and it's affected how I, am in the world right and um i have you know if i think what i'm doing in the world has any goodness to it at all or any usefulness at all i give him a lot of credit for that Mm -hmm. yeah i would love to catch a beer with you someday (laughs) man so i was raised in a, a household where both my parents were educators all right oh and uh, I remember sitting around the evening table and my parents would sometimes talk about Eric Erickson and stages of development. Yeah. And so for yeah. me, so much of my approach to spirituality and how I would teach and talk about it is associated with how do we incorporate some of these ladders of how we grow throughout our lifetime. You were in trouble before you even went to seminary. <laughs> Thank you. I'll take it as a compliment. But you said, yeah, no, I mean, I, I came out of a very oh. restricted, um, well, although there were books lying around quite a bit. My dad was a reader and stuff, and I got introduced to like C.S. Lewis and, yeah. and things 
that. But I also got introduced to conspiracy theory kind of weird shit, like <laughs> chariots of the gods and all that kind of stuff. Uh -huh. right? Or the British Israelites or, you know, weird Pentecostal stuff. Um, okay. Um, I was raised Lutheran and I felt, I feel as though I was protected from evangelical subculture for about 20 years because well, lucky, yeah. here's, I know. And then I went to a, a rather evangelical college and I remember other students were like, so have you ever, what's your testimony? I'm like, what's that? And they'd say, well, you know, that time when you say, Lord, I'm a sinner. And I say, oh, we say that every week. So in Lutheran church, we say it 52 times a year times 18. <laughs> I've said it a, a couple hundred times already. They're like, what? Uh, yeah, that's funny. Let's going back to the frameworks is you recently said something that I, I, I thought was spot on. And maybe it was a, a video I was watching. We make mention of how sometimes church culture or the ministry machine actually has a vested interest in holding people in spiritual arrested development. It, like the church does a really good job of helping people grow up to adolescence. But as soon yeah. as they start to, the term in psychology is differentiate from the leader, your parent, and start yeah. to have your own opinions. Right. No. Yeah. So. One uh, another book that was very influential in my life was uh, Fowler's Stages of Faith, and um, I, I I realized that the church is really good at getting us to adolescence, like where we're very complicit, obedient, um, preteen, servant, preteen, like we we just you know our parents are like gods, um, and, <laughs> and do anything, and uh, we we obey. And things go well if we obey and, and so on and so forth. But and the church is great uh, at taking us through those first couple of stages in our spiritual life. Yeah. But when we get to that stage in our life where we're like, why, why should I be? Why should I listen to you? Or why right. should I? Why should I believe this book? Like, just because you say you're the boss of me doesn't mean you're the boss of me, does it? You know, and so like, like, just like we are in school and we start questioning our teachers or we question the police or we question the government or we question right. our parents and so on. The church can't handle that kind of insurrection. So uh, it doubles down on uh, preventing that from happening, because when you get, do get to that stage, what choice do you have but to shut up and and just uh, be, you know, stay secretive about it? Or if you start asking questions, then you're, you're, you're out. Either you have right. to leave, you're asked to leave. And, um, and which is unfortunate because I think the church would do well mm -hmm. if it um, allowed for people to go through that stage because, you know, our kids went through that stage, but we sure. let them understand that they were allowed to go through that stage, believing and trusting that maintaining a healthy relationship with them and an open relationship with them would encourage them to come back around and appreciate our presence once more. Yeah. And, uh, our, you know, our presence in their lives and so on. And I think that would happen with the church if it, uh, yeah, was more, more open-handed about the stages of faith. Absolutely. And this, I think at a certain point, I hope this doesn't sound arrogant. I felt as though, 
sermons just weren't saying anything new to me. Mm-hmm. I've got too many degrees. I was born and raised in the church. I know a lot of these passages by memorization. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, I just started doing church history, which is all the books behind me. This is just saints and hermits and mystics and holy fools and mm-hmm. uh, desert mothers and fathers. And just I just decided to let them be my mentors instead. Yeah. And I yeah. think that there's a there's a theory I have of uh, spiritual maturity, a lot like matures up here, immatures down here. And every congregation has got an average gravity point. You come in below that, it'll pull you up to that. If you want to grow beyond that, it'll, it'll keep getting harder and harder. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's actually completely appropriate at a certain point to leave a community because it's you're, it's not now it's holding you back rather than helping you forward. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's different cultures in the world that respect the the many stages of growth and and so on. So, you know, and we hear stories about what like first nations um, cultures and so on, where you get to the age where you need to go and talk with the elders and you, you know, you ask the questions and you get a speech and then you're sent out into the wilderness to, to discover your spirit guide, a vision quest. Yeah. Quest. Um, you, you come back with your own wisdom and you are basically an adult and you get to decide how to live your life and so on and so forth. And, and but the, the whole time, the whole spectrum of, uh, childlike, um, spirit, spirituality and mature old spirituality all participate in the same process it's all one thing mm-hmm. and uh, so that you you know you you go in and you go out and you come back around and everything and you continue to participate in the tribe or or whatever uh, from a very early age to a very old age and the whole process and all the people that are wherever they are from young to old are respected in that in that place. So I, I think the church would, would do so much better if it had that sort of a, an appreciation. Yeah. You no, know, the, the, the fifth or sixth stage of Fowler's stages of faith is universal faith um, where all things are one and, you know, there's one reality yeah. and, and so on and so forth that how many churches do we know that would yeah. be a safe space for somebody to think that way or speak that way or live that way. Sure. Uh, and as Fowler points out, most of the people who are at that level of universalist faith, um, Martin Luther King, you know, Gandhi, uh, so on, uh, end up dead. They're martyred. Yeah. Uh, because their their voice is so radical. And so I I think the like I I keep saying the church would be a better place for all of us if if it just was more open about that. Of course, you know, it requires um, leaders who are there. That's true. That's true. You can't take people where you haven't gone yourself. It needs leaders who've experienced that kind of, uh, you know, level of spirit. Right. Yeah. I, uh, for about the past year, I've been doing a similar thing to you of being like, a pastor of spiritual formation at large. And I've, I've been meeting with a lot of people and talking about spiritual uh, framework. Cool. Fowler's cool. one of them. I do like spiral dynamics a lot. I even right. think dark night of the soul is very helpful if you understand it appropriately. 
Yep. And I've said to some of these people, um, there is a loneliness that happens with maturity. And just like you said, a lot of these figures, they were killed not because they were fools, but because they were actually coming from such a high place of maturity that the average person thought they were heretics. Mm -hmm. But if you get close to them, you start to see the brilliance of what they said. So mm -hmm. here's a, a, a great thing that happened to me. And I'd love to hear your interpretation of it. I was raised Lutheran. So, of course, the five solas matter a ton. Mm -hmm. Right. So sola scriptura. Okay. So I started doing Greek and Hebrew work and I found you're not allowed to quote the Bible in church <laughs> because I would read these passages, especially wherever it said all or all things, the restoration of all things, the regeneration of all things, reconciliation of all things, all God is all in all and Christ yeah. is all in, in all. I'm like, this sounds pretty big. We should be talking about these things. Mm -hmm. I actually had legitimate conversations where people told me, do not talk about that passage. Mm -hmm. And I think to myself, but that actually, it's in the Bible and I'm doing what I was told to do, which is to take it seriously. And so can you give any insight to that? What's, what's going on that some passages are intentionally avoided? Do you mm -hmm. have a guess? Yeah, I, I've always loved those passages, too, um, you know, where God was in Christ reconciling the whole world to himself through him or um, uh, that passage where there's therefore now no dividing wall of hostility between us. Oh, yeah. And, you know, verses like that where where there's it's understood that all things are one Um in him. We live and breathe and have our being. And even then, that's a quote from secular secular philosopher right, right but um i i always felt that there was this reality that uh, the scriptures here and there point to that the rest of the scriptures could not be understood if that wasn't there oh like that's the so, hermeneutic verse to see things yeah. through okay yes, yeah i see what you mean so we have to, uh, I always felt that this was the conclusion and we had to reverse engineer everything to figure out how this got gets to that. That's yeah. always been my, my struggle. Uh, that had always been my struggle was Paul, let's say Paul, uh, for one, had this vision of all things being reconciled. And um, of course, we can get into the whole colonialism and, you know, Jesus yeah. taking over the world problem. Uh, but I think Paul was on to something mm -hmm. and, and that all of the rest of his theology about there is therefore no, no, no uh, Jew or Greek or blah, 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 blah. Right. Uh, or, you know, all this somehow pointed to that final reality. So I think I think. I, I was the same. I was fascinated by these verses, um, by these, <laughs> these, these moments in the Bible that expose, almost like exposed the conclusion. Yeah. Like the last chapter. And that the only way we could understand the rest of the Bible was by keeping that in view. And that yeah. somehow 
that had to be the hermeneutic by which we understood everything else. Mm. Yeah, I, you know, like it's like it's kind of like. Um, excuse me, you got me on with tangent. Uh, the uh, it's kind of like um, uh, when I started reading Merton, and then he's reading um, Sufi uh, mystics, uh, Zen Buddhists, um, uh, Tibetan Buddhists. Uh, Hindu philosophers um, that somehow got me onto Krishnamurti, who's another guru of mine, um, and so on. And then that got me onto David Bohm. Uh, oh Krishnamurti yeah, and David Bohm were friends. David Bohm being the quantum physicist, and then David Bohm turning me on to uh, uh, Ravelli, Carlo Ravelli, uh, his book Seven Brief Lessons in Physics. And 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 realizing these are people are all, all talking the same language, right. We're all talking about the same thing with different words or uh -huh. different cultural lenses or whatever. But the, you know, it's it's like there's a mystical philosophical philosophical quantum kind of a world there right. that they're all sort of dancing around and trying to articulate. Uh -huh. And I think that's where it's at. Absolutely. Yeah. And, but the healthier your spirituality is, the more you're able to integrate rather than separate from all those other things. And I think that's one of the, the most important things we're missing is that there's like a sense of maturity by purity and exclusion of those mm -hmm. ideas rather mm -hmm. than maturity by integration and finding a way to hold it. This is the problem. Uh, like, uh, I used to think of growth and linearly where I grow into the future and, uh -huh. you know, I leave behind kind of like a snail's trail of slime <laughs> that dries up and withers in the sun. And, you know, then I, I thought that's not really accurate because it's sort of denying or rejecting my roots. Somehow there's something oh, not, uh -huh. not good about that. Then, then I thought of it in terms of stages, kind of like Fowler's stages, but then, you know, where you're kind of going up this ladder. But then I thought, well, the problem with that, though, is I sort of look down condescendingly on my previous belief systems and my previous yeah. well, and therefore others who are in those levels or whatever. Then I thought, what about if we thought about growth as spatial, where we, we grow outward so that nothing's rejected, everything's um, subsumed yeah. as we and integrated as we grow so that that's why i say i wouldn't be who i am now unless i was who i was then sure but somehow all gets integrated so that the the goal isn't just to get to this unitary vision of all things it's it's also recognizing the all things mm. so, so that it oh. you know when when you get that oneness vision you can't reject the many mm -hmm. um it's unity in diversity so that we're we don't all become one race we become one people right with many 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 expressions yeah and somehow that's i think the the spiritual goal um or human goal 
uh, is that we get this unitary vision of the world. Sure. Uh, that it includes the diversity, that it includes the many. So there's the one and the many. And, and so it's like when Paul said, um, God was in Christ reconciling the whole world to himself through him. It's like there's the, or uh, the all in all. It's like the all, the one all in the many all. Yeah. <laughs> it's starting to sound like a Gnostic, but... <laughs> But maybe maybe the Gnostics have part of it right. You know? I, I definitely think they were onto something. Absolutely. Yeah. I think David Bentley Hart is one of the people that have really brought Gnosticism back and try to find like what are the helpful things about it. Uh, in, in all honesty, one of my favorite things to do is to take some of the same old passages and to look at it from a slightly different angle. So as you're even speaking, mm-hmm. I'm thinking of... Uh, we are in the image of God. Like, let us make them in our image. And most people emphasize the uh, the plurality of the God in that moment. Let us make them in our image. People see that's a reference to Trinity. I always like that. Let us make them collectively in our image. Meaning, I'm not the image of God alone. We are the image when we are in community, harmony, when things are in shalom. I'm like, right. That more accurately, like you can't as a person reflect the Trinity if you alone are trying to be unity and diversity. You can only be unity and diversity with everyone else. That's right. You know? And it's the same with, with, say, gender, where the same argument can be applied to male and female created he them. It's not male and female. I see. Male and female, he created he them. Yeah. So, uh, um, yeah, I think it's very fascinating. The, the I'm loving square, uh, um, queer theologians, uh, theologians, mystical theologians, uh, Ma- yeah. Meister Eckhart, for example, uh, and others who really can blow your mind with this sort of uh, unity and diversity thinking. Yeah, mm. you you might really enjoy this. I was uh, I was preaching a Good Friday service a number of years ago. And I felt like Good Friday was a good day to try to shake something up. So I quoted Meister Eckhart and I said, there was a theologian a thousand years ago who said, I pray God rid me of God. (laughs) And I could see everybody kind of woke up, even though it was a Friday afternoon. They're like, what? What did he just say? Become an atheist? I was like, oh, maybe he was onto something. We need to, classical term, and maybe you could speak to this, deconstruct these concepts that have brought us to this point, but are utterly holding us back now. Yeah, he got in a lot of trouble. Uh, you know, Meister Eckhart, he had a hard time. Yeah. Uh, he was sent, I, I don't know how many times he was censored or brought before the court or whatever, but uh, yeah, he was radical, man. He was, he was, he was very radical. But yeah, I, I very much appreciate him that because um, he's a part of uh, Christian our our tradition, right? And um, that's right. And yeah, the stuff he had to say was pretty pretty radical. Uh, yeah. Let's go into the last two things, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. You have almost a uh, I won't say a vendetta, but you have a high emphasis on challenging spirituality that's fueled by fear, anger, or shame. And uh, I feel mm-hmm. as though a lot of the reason why millennials and younger have left 
is because honestly, they've been trained a little bit better than previous generations about psychological health and well-being. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. think that they recognize when fear, anger, and shame are weaponized faster, if that makes mm. sense. Oh, yeah. So you could speak to that. What does healthy spirituality look like in today's centuries or today's life? Well, I, I talk about it a lot. The reason why I, I talk about the things I talk about is because I've experienced it. And um, so I, I grew up with a lot of shame, a lot of fear. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, in Baptist and Pentecostal, evangelical circles, the whole purity culture thing. Um, was very much a part of my experience. And, and so shame was huge. Uh, I became a, a true born again Christian when I was a teenager because I, the, the, the shit was scared out of me by p- yeah. people talking about the revelation and Jesus coming back and being left behind. <laughs> so I, uh, you know, I, a lot of my cartoons <clears throat> poke fun at that, that, um, and a lot of people res- resonate with uh, with them it sort of makes them chuckle and maybe lifts the burden a little bit of, of shame and, and fear and guilt that was used on them and that they've you know had to try to shed uh, mm-hmm. for all these years so yeah um, it, it's we, we have a, a, a children's book we've kept all our children's book because man they're expensive yeah. but uh, the, <laughs> Our children's book, one was written by a, a First Nations um, person uh, in from Inuktuk up north. Oh, wow. And um, tells a story about the monsters that live underneath the ice up there. And it scared the children and kept them off the ice. Uh, as, as, because they, especially in the spring and the fall when the things were thawing or not quite frozen yet. And uh, it, it, the, all these monsters live under the ice so that if you fell through the ice, they would get you. And, you know, <clears throat> and I thought, you know, that's how theology is used. I mean, we, they don't really believe in those monsters, the adults there, but they're very handy for keeping kids off the ice when they shouldn't be on the ice. Wow. And, and so on the one hand, it's care. You know, they, they want to make sure the kids don't go on the ice. Right. And this is an effective way to make sure they don't go on thin ice. But on the other hand, you know, I don't know about you, but I, I, I was taught a lot about demons. And it took me a long time to shake my fear of demons, even though I don't believe in literal demons. Um, they, they, it took me a long time to shake that fear, just like those ice monsters, you know. Yeah, but on one hand, it, I I do realize that a lot of that was taught to me um, to make sure I I didn't do bad things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, it's hard to, to shake that stuff, and and uh, a lot of that stuff it was used inappropriately as well. Mm-hmm. So for me, healthy theology is is where we come face to face with what is true, and there's no fear, there's no shame, there's no guilt. It just is. And yeah. there's, there should be the fruit of the spirit, shouldn't it? Shouldn't there be peace and joy and love? <laughs> Wait, are you saying hell, the doctrine of hell doesn't produce fruit that's good? The fruit of the spirit are not shame, fear, and guilt. Oh, that's so they're, good. They're nice, they're nice feelings. So, 
But it's funny, even as I say that though, it's it's okay to be happy. It's okay to have nice feelings. I can hear Theo bros out there, <laughs> but, you know, but the word of God says, you know, right. and uh, just trying to ruin our joy, kill our joy. Oh. Yeah, I. one of the things that's been so interesting for me is I love finding whatever the next paradigm shift is. That's what I'm always looking for, the next paradigm shift. Hmm. And to be honest, the original languages is what constantly does it, just constantly. So, for instance, when it says, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full, it's the Greek word parasuo, which doesn't mean to the full. It says overflowing, bubbling over, beyond the limit. I'm like, this is about over-the-top joy. And so there's a part of me that now uses that as my metric. If if this isn't if this sets a cap to joy or doesn't give permission to somebody to experience joy, this is bogus to me. And that feels like a yeah. pretty good metric so far. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how many I think somebody has said, and I don't know if this is true because I haven't gone through and counted myself, but I think somebody has said, do not fear is said in the Bible 365 times. And, and yeah. it's convenient because you can, you can find one of the do not fear or do not be afraid for every day of the year. And yet I lived in constant fear, oh. you know, in my, in my uh, young spiritual life, fear of hell, fear of demons, fear of God, fear of, you know, um, whatever. And um, now I'm at the point where if something makes you afraid, uh, just, it's not good for you, you know, or yeah. if something makes you depressed and sad, you know. So it's okay to seek happiness. You know, sure. Be joyful. And, um, you know, what's the chief end of man to, um, to love God and enjoy him forever? I think that's one of the, that's yeah. how the Westminster Catechism says it. Yeah, Westminster Catechism, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, um, joy is a, you know, Aristotle, didn't you say that's the chief end of man, uh, is to is to seek their own happiness and so on. But, man, that, that was counter what I was taught. Mm. Um, you know, you need to please God and, you know, obey God. That's first. And that's where your joy comes from. Mm. And... And uh, I never experienced that way. So I yeah. think healthy spirituality is something that should make us healthy. Absolutely. And there's a part of me that thinks uh, when Jesus turns water into wine, he uses jars that were meant for purification waters. Mm -hmm. And it's fascinating because it's like Jesus saying, oh, you see all this stuff about purity? We're going to retool it for joy. Mm-hmm. And so if your faith understanding is built upon rule following and purity, you haven't gotten to that second half yet, that, that, that repurpose, like if that's the way we want to say it, you know, transcend and include. Yeah. So last up, I yeah. just say I really enjoyed uh, the drawing that you had done from the Carl Jung quote, walk or be dragged, but you retitled yeah. it a little bit better. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is, yeah, it's based on the footprints 
uh, poster. Yeah, and that's a classic so, poster. There's uh, two sets of footprints in the sand, and one says, this is where I carried you. It's God speaking. This is where I carried you. And then there's one set of tracks, and it says, or this is where we walked beside each other. And this next one is just one set of tracks, and this is where I carried you. So uh, I took Carl Jung's quote, uh, walk your life or be dragged. In other words, cooperate with your life <laughs> or, uh, or uh, you know, surrender or, or else you're just going to be dragged through your life. Uh, uh -huh. And I showed um, this is where we walked side by side. And then this is where I dragged your ass because there's like claw <laughs> marks in the sand where uh, I right. And I, I said that that pretty much describes my life where yeah. there's times when I'm walking along and there's other times I'm being dragged, man. I am being dragged. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I thought it was pretty accurate. Yeah, I'd say it made me laugh out loud. <laughs> sometimes the truth will make you angry and sometimes the truth will make you laugh real hard. <laughs> yeah, well, I love that about my cartoons is they evoke some kind of a, an emotional response. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So then let's, let's close it out. Um, I so much appreciate your time. Thank you so much for giving yeah, me a part you. of your morning. This is really fun. Yeah. I enjoyed it. If there's a way that I can point a, a couple hundred more people towards some of your art and the things that you do, that's great. And how would you suggest is the best way to find you online? Well, nakedpastor.com. Um, if you Google naked pastor, make sure it's one word, because if you Google two words, you're going to see naked pastors. No. So and that's something you can't unsee. Yeah. So, uh, but naked pastor, I'm naked pastor, one word, um, all across all social media platforms. You can find me everywhere. Instagram is perhaps my most active um, oh. form. But uh, yeah, or I'm on YouTube as well, um, yeah. making videos. So in fact, this one will be on there as you kindly sure. allowed. And uh, yeah, so, and I'm really good at responding too, if you want to reach out. That's fantastic. Hmm. Well, uh, Naked Pastor David, thank you for your time. Thank you so Thanks, much. Thanks, It was fun. See you guys.